And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the Spiritual Spiral. Excited to welcome Missy Kai Hoffman to the show. We'll get there very soon. I met Missy, I guess, through Facebook. I never officially met her. And, and you know, she said something in the conversation, and obviously we'll get to the conversation soon, but she said something that if it weren't for my post you and I wouldn't have had this conversation. And, and she's she's correct, 100% correct. She posted something on Facebook where, you know, Yoga Works closed a lot of their studios in New York City. This pandemic is having a very dynamic impact on many industries. I mean, yoga studios are closing, fitness studios are closing. But I also feel as though this pandemic is actually empowering to a lot of people because it's forcing people to think independently and potentially become self-employed. And I do think the business model of the yoga studio isn't really working in the sense that they have to charge a lot of money. They don't pay yoga teachers a lot of money, 35 to $50. Of course, there are the exceptions. If you're bringing in the 70, 80, 90 people on a Saturday like a Vinnie Marino in Santa Monica, you know you can potentially make a decent amount of money as a yoga teacher. But the business model of the yoga studio really doesn't benefit the yoga teacher. And it often requires a yoga teacher to sort of create a business model on their own and have retreats have privates. And of course, it seemed obvious to me that the yoga works in New York City, at least, and I'm curious if yoga works in LA is going to you know, follow them. All of their studios in New York ended up closing. So Missy wrote this post on Facebook. I guess this is what separates me from a lot of people. I could have commented on the post, but I sent her a DM and I wanted to have a, a deeper conversation about it. I do feel as though a lot of people are commenting, DMing back and forth, having these sort of pseudo quote-unquote conversations. But to me, I really wanted to get a deeper, better understanding of who Missy is and, and sort of where she was coming from when she posted this post about the yoga industry and, and what's going on with yoga now that the pandemic is happening, because it's very complicated. But I did want to read just a very brief part of the article. Follow Missy Kai Hoffman, by the way, on Facebook. Then you could read this entire post on your own and then read the article in the Yoga Journal magazine. But at the very end, and I think these are really important suggestions for yoga teachers, innovate new services relative to the unique populations we serve, start your own business, educate other teachers on business practices, negotiate class fees and payments, develop strong boundaries, stop adopting a martyr or hero complex, you're not saving people with free yoga. You're just hurting yourselves and your colleagues. Stop giving so much free yoga. It devalues you in the long run. You know, and, and I'll, I just, I really responded to that because a lot of yoga teachers offer donation based classes. And I sort of realized over the last few weeks, talking to Missy and a couple other friends and talking to Calvin that, yeah, I don't. I'm not a charity. And I think if we do offer classes for like a dollar or for free or donation, it is devaluing the practice of teaching yoga. It's devaluing the teacher student dynamic. And this is all my opinion, but you know, if you want to take a free yoga class, go online and type in free yoga and I'm sure you'll find one. But you know, I think we need to appreciate and value what yoga teachers are doing. 
and I found Missy's post to be very empowering. And I think it's important for us to place a value on our worth. And of course, there's exceptions. You know, if, if somebody wants to take my class, is out of a job and can't afford it, sure. You know, and I think most teachers out there are very reasonable. But I think there's a chance that we're sort of perpetuating this cycle where yoga is just a charity or donation. And, and I think there is a higher, deeper value to what a good yoga teacher does. So I reached out to Missy. I wanted to talk to her about all this kind of stuff and get a little bit more understanding of where she's coming from. So it's a great talk. And by the way, you can find Missy Kai Hoffman. She owns a company called The Body Intuitive. You can find her, type it in Google, find her on Instagram, find her on Facebook. And I think the other reason I connected with her is it became obvious to me that Missy and her business is not just about yoga. I mean, she has training in body work and massage, obviously asana, yoga postures, pranayama, anatomy, biomechanics, physiology, psychology, mindfulness, stress reduction. She has over a thousand hours of training. Um, And this now is just from her website. She has developed a signature approach which holistically integrates and treats all aspects of the mind, body, and spirit. Uh, And she also has trainings in functional range assessment and conditioning, functional anatomy. So her business and what she stands for goes beyond just yoga. And of course, yoga is great, but I think a good teacher should be able to tap into some of the more intrinsic, deeper qualities of the human body. And I, and I think obviously it takes a lot of time to learn all of that, but it, but Missy clearly knows what she's talking about and definitely reach out to her. Again, thebodyintuitive.com. You can find her on Instagram, Facebook. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, give it a five star, share it with your friends. You can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Eddie Cohn. You can find my website or find me on my website, IamEddieCohn.com. I'm going to start a newsletter very soon that sort of dives a little deeper into my podcast, into the music that I'm writing, into the book that I just finished, articles I'm reading, music I'm listening to, playlists I'm playing in my yoga classes. It's just going to go deeper into the world of the spiritual spiral. So again, IamEddieCohn.com. Huge thanks to Missy for taking the time. And as always, thank you so much to you. There's about 59 million podcasts out there right now. So as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. funny. I, I follow people on Facebook that uh, I don't even remember why I followed you or I know we're connected, but I've never met you. But I and I read about you and we do have a pretty interesting similarity. But before I get to that, I just, you know, give me give me a background and listeners a background, just sort of what you're doing in L.A. and talk a little bit about your background and just your company right now here in, in L.A. Because I know you're a yoga teacher, but I, I get the sense that it goes a little bit beyond that. I don't honestly identify myself as a yoga teacher anymore for a lot of different reasons, although I did get my start in yoga therapy. So I specialize in rehabilitative mobility, therapeutic body work, and sovereign sexuality coaching. My practice is based in 
West Los Angeles, California, and I've been practicing for about four years now, full time. And I specialize in creating holistic, personalized treatment plans for active, busy professionals to uh, relieve pain, improve mobility, and to cope with stress. So, as a result of working with me, I, I help people to connect more deeply with themselves, with their bodies, and with their relationships. Um, so my work actually covers a broad variety of um, different kinds of imbalances and, and clientele, um, but in particular, I specialize in working with uh, men and healing their trauma as well. I do take both male and female and non-binary clients, but um, my specific area and specialty of research is, is working with men to help them connect more deeply with their bodies and and their sexuality. And why do you think that's, do you think it's more challenging for guys or just as a woman, you, you f- just connect more easily with, with men as clients or, you know, what's, what's sort of your reasoning behind that? No, I don't think it has anything to do with my gender identification. Uh, to be honest, it really came from identifying a need that was going pretty much unaddressed by even other areas of therapy. Um, When I was going through my yoga therapy school at Loyola Marymount University, I realized that most of my classmates were female (laughs) in my training program. And that just led me to this inquiry of, you know, why are more women than men doing yoga or interested in taking this kind of therapeutic training? And nobody could really answer that question for me to satisfactory level. So I started doing my own research. um, And to be honest, there's not a lot of research out there. It just doesn't really exist yet. So that led me to a very interdisciplinary approach um, and training and structure to how I work with my students. We take a very holistic approach, but it's informed and evidence-based. So, you know, I'll pull from neurology, biomechanics, you know, like more like physical therapy kind of stuff. Um, healing, body work, sexuality, um, you know, gender identities. It takes a lot to just kind of like put that together into a cohesive package. And men especially have a lot of disassociation in their bodies and they're taught and conditioned societally to that it's like, you know, you're weak if you have feelings or it's feminine to do these kinds of practices, but what that really does is cut them off from themselves, and that can have rippling effects um, in terms of how they relate to their body, in in terms of limitations and mobility, and also for their, honestly, for their sex lives and their intimate lives, um, because it's difficult for them to communicate and show emotion and, and speak to their needs and their desires. And I just, it really, really seems like men need this help, and it's not available or as societally accepted for them to get that help as it might be for women. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, I've been teaching yoga for four or five years and I'll still get not made fun of, but still people, some of my guy friends from college will still make sort of like little side jokes about, oh my God, you know, you still teach yoga. And it's just, they're, I mean, it's it's crazy to think even 2020 guys are getting made fun of mm-hmm. or criticized for doing um, for doing yoga, which which really just, makes so so and i'm getting more and more men clients who just 
realize that it's okay if you don't get your foot behind your head. You know, I, I can't, I can't do mm-hmm. barely any of those postures, but I do know that just to help strengthen your lower back or to relieve stress or to mm-hmm. um, add more mobility to your shoulders, yoga really respond, men really respond to that. And, and I think I come from a place of no ego. I can't, I'm not flexible like so many people out there, but I think that can be, I think yoga can be intimidating for a lot of men. They associate it with just women. And so they, in that regards, will either just stay away from it or just make fun of, make fun of other guys that do it. hundred percent. And I really appreciate you sharing this experience you've had because it, it's a great, um, it's a perfect anecdotal example of what a lot of the guys who I work with come in saying. And so for that reason, I, I really, really make a concerted effort to cater the way that I teach to what their specific needs are. And their needs are different um, than somebody who's just going to like a regular vinyasa class. Um, because even the typical yoga studio environment might feel feminized for a guy. And I think for a lot of guys, there's this pressure of performance, even if they don't feel it from anybody else, they might put it on themselves, especially if you're like new to the practice, you don't really know what yoga is. You think that yoga might be just like stretching or, you know, a quick workout or something like that, or an easy workout. And you come in with this expectation and this mentality, you know, you always see the guy in the back of the room, like (laughs) just trying to keep up and struggling and feeling really embarrassed and as soon as class is over he just like bails you know so yeah uh my my programs were very intentionally created to meet some of those deeper needs and to create a a safe space to explore some of these concepts in a way that is very simple and digestible and accessible for them so i'm not dumbing down the practice i'm i'm just offering them tools in a way that makes sense for them You know, I'm curious, I want to backtrack and I promise we'll get to Facebook, but, you know, I think for me, what's, what's a challenge is that this idea of judging and, and yoga teachers, everything is very often just, you can't judge or, or speak, hmm. speak, you know, negatively or make a comment about what other people do. Everything is supposed to just be fine and good. And, and I, I have issues with that and we don't have to totally get into it, but it, it feels after reading about you and part of the reason why... <laughs> No, but part of the reason why I teach yoga is that you it does feel as though you have a bit of I don't want I gotta be careful and choose the right words because you can obviously explain yourself, but you do look at it almost feels like your practice and your style sort of was a result of maybe some of the disdain or you know, judgment or attitude you had towards what's happening in Los Angeles and vinyasa. And it's obviously about like just sweating and and people are taking their clothes off on Instagram and obviously sexualizing the practice. I don't know. Talk to me about, about sort of your approach and am I right in what I'm sort of saying or, or do you not agree? Yeah, for sure. I look, I've been on all sides of this issue and um, so I'll, I'll kind of break it down in a couple senses to speak to your like the initial part of your question, it's it's almost speaking to this like toxic positivity culture where it's like <laughs> right. because we're in the realm of yoga, everything has to be love and happy and compassion. And it's like, look, a lot of people come to yoga because they are deeply in need of healing. 
and they're deeply in pain. And because life is hard sometimes, it's not always about transcendence. It's not always about bliss. The, the people that I work with come in to see me because they've already seen five other practitioners, including, you know, certified allopathic practitioners and aren't getting the help that they need because people aren't understanding what their true need is. And so my criticism um, comes from a place of knowing both the business side of things. I was a CPA before I came became <laughs> a, a health coach and um, being able to look macrocosmically at the way that things are progressing and then taking that down to an individual level and being like, how does this affect people? Because the commercialization of yoga does play a really significant role in how my students view yoga. They view it as something that's very feminized. Let me, let me interrupt you really quickly. Cause I, it's funny. I think a lot of yoga teachers who are all over Instagram and, you know, posing in scantily clad outfits or, or whatever, I get the sense they don't think that it's as big of a deal or that it's not influencing or impacting our culture. But, you know, from mm-hmm. my ex- I think it, I think it's causing more of, of an impact than I think anybody really understands. But sorry, so what were you saying? Do you continue? I can, I can speak to that as well, too, because, you know, I, living in Los Angeles, I've actually met a lot of the influencers as, as people <laughs> sure. instead of, you know, this, this image that they present online. And I have, I have very mixed feelings about the criticisms of what people wear or how they present themselves doing a yoga practice. I think you know, it's up to the students to use their discernment and say, what am I, what is my intention for taking up a yoga practice and what teacher is going to lead me back to more of myself? That's always my intention in working with a student is it's, it's not about me. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm very much like offering a a service here and offering um, a, a treatment, if you will. It's a holistic treatment, but it's a treatment. So I put it within that context some teachers, that's not what they're about, and they make that clear from the way that they hold themselves out. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's different for everybody. But in terms of, like, the sexual, sexualization of yoga, um, I don't know. It, there's, there's a lot that goes into that because I, on the, <laughs> on the other hand, too, you know, I also had um, an Instagram account for a long time that was... Um, very intentionally combining yoga and sexuality together because that is a part of what I teach. Um, Mm. And before I taught that, I went through a very intensive journey myself of thinking about, you know, what does it mean to post these kinds of pictures? What does it do for me as a person? How am I presenting myself and what impact does that have on my students? And so for, for me, you know, that the account is no longer, but for, for me, it was a, an important creative outlet for myself because, um, because of the sexual abuse that was coming out, especially a lot in 2017, 2018, um, that led me to get a massage therapy license that led me to start blogging a lot more about the intersection of sexuality and yoga. And if yoga is truly about wholeness, about union, then we can't slice off our sexuality and say, this is, this is other because that is also another form of separatism. Yeah. What's more important is to cultivate um, an intentionality behind that. And for me, I was very much able to create a, a community that was very positive about that and very intentional about it. And we were able to create 
meaningful discussions around sexuality and the intersection it has with yoga. So I understand where a lot of people are coming from. I myself got a lot of pushback from even my senior teachers about, oh, you shouldn't be posting these kinds of pictures of yourself. You know, it's it's like you have the power to hold yourself out and hold out your practice in any way that you want. And um, if it doesn't resonate with you, I would say just don't don't follow it. I don't really follow a lot of yoga accounts anymore. I don't follow a lot of the big Instagram yoga accounts. I don't follow a lot of the aloe influencers. I just don't follow them anymore because it's not my reason for practicing. But if it's somebody else's reason for practicing, like I just don't, I don't want to judge that. But at the same time, it just, it, it doesn't make me feel good within myself. My intention with bringing in sexuality is again, to lead back someone into this place of healing and, and sharing of experiences. And so, um, how would people trust you to to go through this sort of intimate process with their bodies or, you know, uh, isn't this something that they would go to a therapist for potentially or speak to? Are these people that are men that are single that don't have a wife or girlfriend or I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be too personal, but why would they trust you? I make a very, very concerted effort to be extremely professional in everything that I do in my business. And I think that's something that is sorely lacking from the yoga industry overall. I don't think that most people get into yoga because they want to make a big business out of it. I think Mm. most people get into it because they're really passionate about it. And that's a beautiful thing. But, and that also doesn't mean that they're good business owners. That doesn't mean that they're good coaches. That doesn't mean that they're good at creating a structure for somebody to move through a traumatic experience. Well, so, and that's a good transition though, because, you know, you posted, um, a pretty opinionated piece about, you know, yoga works closing in, in New York and sort of the business model of yoga. And, and I really resonated with that because I, I it, it's frustrating because, I'm very curious how this is all going to play out with the pandemic and independent yoga teachers and contractors, because I know a lot that are making substantially more money just, you know, on their own via Zoom or like YouTube or something, as opposed to teaching at Yoga Works. You know, you really sort of related to these sort of lower to mid-level teachers, not ver- not based on their quality, but just based on their following or, you know, the number of classes they have. And you know, it's it's such a to me. It's kind of a messed up business model and system. And and you know how how explain explain to me why you felt inspired to post that. And let's let's talk about this a little bit more. Well, first I want to go back to your other question because oh sure. You know, just as the receiver, it was kind of like, well, where do you get off on offering this stuff to people? And it's like, well, hey man, like I've put a lot of time and effort into my education into my training. I've had a lot of mentors to help guide me through this. I've done a lot of my own work. I have my own therapist. Like there's an entire support system behind this. This has been years of intense research for me, intense development. Like this is, this is my work. And my particular area of the work is the intersection of these two spaces. Um, so it's just like, (laughs) you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like people would have been pay to come see me if, if it didn't work. Um, and most of my students usually end up staying with me for like six months to a year or even more because, 
we we see really transformational results together and it's done in a way that they're held throughout the entire process and there's always support available for them and everything is completely personalized to them it's not some cookie cutter course it's not like i'm indoctrinating them into my way of doing things it's everything is personalized exactly to the client's needs so they can just come as they are and because i have so many different trainings you know i'm in i do massage therapy i do mobility i do this all, all this other stuff it's like they will get exactly what they need in that session and i think with the way that i hold myself out and the kind of content that i put out with people they can just see the sincerity of intention um you know, and I think people are really attracted to that because there's so much that's not that out there. You know, I'm not trying to talk badly about anybody, but it's it kind of feeds into your other question, which is that yoga businesses are typically not very well run. So when they see one that is really well run with a very sincere practitioner at the helm of it, then, you know, who's who came to yoga because of their own <laughs> issues and health imbalances, then... I think people see that there's an authenticity and a transparency that's really sorely lacking and missing in some of these other organizations. So well, I wait, regularly... really quickly though. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I, sure. I just, I just was, I just, because you're offering potentially a very intimate part of the practice and just, you know, for, for people to trust you um, and go to you, you know, it's probably not easy for a man or a woman to reach out to you um, and, you know, and, and talk to you about these very personal issues. So um, very often mm-hmm. it, it can be reserved for potentially a, a therapist. Um, and so you're sort of, you know, like bridging the gap and sort of touching on multiple um, modalities mm-hmm. and, and different issues. So, you know, it, it can be a struggle, I'm sure, for people to feel comfortable talking to you about this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. um, without... Yeah. That happens all the time. People, you know, (laughs) they'll be like sharing their, you know, their secret desires or, you know, embarrassing encounters. And a lot of my work is revolves around releasing shame around these things and bringing them more out into the light because um, that's part of what makes it damaging. Again, we are all sexual people. Like we wouldn't be here without (laughs) our mothers. Like it it had to happen somehow. So let's not pretend that it just doesn't exist. What inspired you to write that, that Facebook post about sort of talking about the business model of, of, of what's damaging about the yoga industry? To be honest, it just makes me it, it makes me frustrated and angry that people who are really, really dedicated to the practice and the teachers, the ones who are actually offering the service that the whole business is predicated on, teaching the yoga, are the ones who are being exploited the most by the business model and suffering the most because of it and left vulnerable because of the pandemic. And so when I saw that article about the yoga works in New York closing, you know, I I was just thinking about the teachers who pretty much got laid off. They don't have, if they're independent contractors, they may or may not be able to get unemployment. Um, They don't get any kind of benefits from their work. They have no, they have no guarantees. There's no safety net at all. And I know a lot of teachers who do accept studio jobs at, you know, 30 to $50 a class, 
you know, it may not be their main form of income, but it could be an important part of their income. And so I was just... Or they want it to be their main sort of income. Yeah. Or, they're, or they're trying to figure it out. Exactly. And so I think um, we give these these companies more power in our minds than they really deserve. And my intention is just to kind of like shake people awake a little bit with the ugly truth and be like, look, you're being, you're being exploited. And what you want to do about that is up to you. But if I can encourage you towards um, making more intelligent business decisions and holding yourself out as, as a true professional, then the entire industry would accelerate. Students would get better services. Like towards the end of the post, you said something like things we can do as teachers. Um, and one of which was, you know, stop giving so much free yoga. It devalues you. It devalues you in the long run. Uh, value your work and your time. And it's, I, it's funny, like there's this strange connection to yoga where because you're a yoga teacher, you should just be doing it for free. And, and I've had mixed feelings about this by donation. And, you know, I was doing by donation for a little while and, and people, it's one, people just weren't paying at all. And I feel like yeah. I'm not a charity, you know, it's, it's. It, no, that's exactly it. I'm like, if I'm making a donation to you, like, are you a charity? Is your life a charity? Are you a beggar? Like, you know, like the way that yoga was initially taught in India was from guru to student and the student would provide a livelihood to the guru. They'd bring them food. They'd bring them all these things. They might even house the person. We don't live in that society anymore. Like that model is just not feasible economically for most people in modern America who are householders. And so we need fundamentally a different model to sustain us. This yoga studio model is one way of doing things, but it was never really the way that yoga was intended to be taught. Um, It's really important for teachers to understand that they're actually not doing anybody any favors by giving out a ton of free yoga. They're not doing the student any favors because they're teaching the student to devalue the practice. They're not doing themselves any favors because it's not going to pay the bills. And like, even if you didn't get into yoga to pay the bills by like, you would never go into a restaurant and be like, you know what? People need food because they're hungry. And so we're just going to give out free food forever. And maybe people can pay what they want for the food. It's like, no, homie, you got, (laughs) you got rent. You got staff to make the food. You got costs to incur the food. You have to train people. I mean, yoga teachers will spend three, five, ten thousand dollars on a teacher training, and that teacher training doesn't pay for itself, you know. And right. look, enlightenment is free. If you want to study yoga on your own, you can. That's free to you. If you want to have a teacher to guide you in that process, you need to pay them for their time and for their training and. What that is, is, you know, a benchmark that is really a hot topic in the yoga industry. But, you know, there's there's got to be some kind of baseline because at the end of the day, free yoga only teaches people to devalue the practice. People don't value things that are free. Well, yeah, I and- mean, that's one of my biggest um, issues with tech and how it sort of affected music. Um People just obviously don't pay for music anymore. People think art just doesn't have value. Um, and I think it has sort of trickled over to other modalities. And, and just mm-hmm. because you can get free yoga classes on Aloe Yoga's website or something for a month or this website, or you know, you can basically type in yoga and get anything for free. And totally. I think that does sort of brainwash people or just think that they can just 
do this without paying any money. And I, I think that does create a problem. Well, Aloe Yoga is a clothing company. They don't, they're trying to sell yoga pants. Like yoga is an accessory product to their main product, which is selling pants. And if people will pay $150 for yoga pants to look cool in yoga pants, you know, I, I like Aloe Yoga. I wear their stuff too. I'm just saying that like the, it's not that people aren't willing to spend money. It's that we've conditioned them that it's okay not to. And that's, not their fault. And it doesn't help them to invest in the practice. Yoga is something that takes, especially if you're just a beginner, it takes, I don't know, a year, let's say, two to three months to really kind of like sink your teeth into the practice and be like, what is a down dog? Where do I put my hands when I do this pose? You know, like just the basics and get the vocabulary, like learning an instrument. And, um, you know, they, they need to look at it as a practice, as a habit for it to be truly successful. So that's why my whole practice is based around giving people personalized treatment so they can figure out what their practice they need to do for themselves is and then be guided in learning how to do those things um, rather than just being like, OK, here's this 60 minute vinyasa class and you know, we'll all say namaste at the end and <laughs> call it a day. It's really about the person taking responsibility for themselves. And that is not something that usually comes freely. People usually need to have a lot of accountability in that. And the way to make that happen is honestly a lot of times to get them to pay. Um, it, there's got to be some sort of like pain point or structure or um, or way. So, I mean, that's why I work with people who, who have 10, 20 years of medical history um, because that's that's the structure that they need to get better, and they're not getting it. Um, if 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 all the free yoga in the world <laughs> solved their problem, they wouldn't come to see me. You know. Yeah. You know, I I similarly to you feel like I find there to be a deeper potential when practicing beyond obviously looking good and and sort of. I realize we live in a very superficial world and. And our eyes seem to be the most working sense right now of all the five senses. But I was really sick as a kid, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And I know you were diagnosed, mm-hmm. I think, with colitis or Crohn's. I forgot which one. Yeah, colitis. So I, I feel like when something health-related happens at a young age, and when I got sick, this was well before you know Instagram and Facebook, you know, I had a very strong relationship with my yoga teacher who, you know, I met a therapist and then yoga and... And really brought me back to health. And it sort of made me realize that, you know, in the right hands, yoga does have this potential to heal without taking lots of medication that could be really toxic for the body. So, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point, is this sort of why you have this this sort of relationship with yoga that goes beyond just, you know, sweating? Uh, Oh, absolutely. So just, you know, talk to me about, about like the first time you sort of realized... And I got the sense also, and I connected with this too, I became very frustrated with physicians when I was younger because they were really just giving me medication. They weren't offering me other avenues to get better. So, you know, talk to me about your relationship, about, about your health and how you got into yoga and, and, and how it, it helped you find better health. My first encounter with yoga was when I was hmm, maybe like 
15 years old or something like that. And I was in a Barnes and Noble, <laughs> I just kind of dated myself, but I was in a Barnes and Noble trying to pick out a Christmas present for my dad. And I happened to throw like a yoga, like two yoga DVDs in there last minute. They were like in the workout section or something. And I just thought they looked cool. So I ended up doing them in my living room and fell in love with it. Right. <laughs> I thought it felt really good to me. Um, and around that time, I was really struggling with uh, depression, and depression is a common core morbidity of ulcerative colitis. Um, I was diagnosed at 13, and my doctors told me I, I would never be off medication. Um, I was taking heavy steroids at the time, which really wreaked havoc on my body. Yeah. Because you know, I, I was 13 years old and taking steroids every day. And... Um, you know, I was seeing like the best GI specialist in the country. There's Lucille Packard's hospital over at Stanford. And, you know, my mom did everything she could for me. Um, you know, I was taking like 12 pills a day. It was, it was insane. And then I went through college. I went through university. I kind of always wanted to do more yoga, but it, it never really, it always took a back burner to my studies. And then once I got out of college, I graduated business school with an accounting degree and got my CPA the following summer and my license. Um, I realized that I was just super, super stressed out all the time, that that stress was negatively impacting the colitis and making it inflamed and flare up again. And that was affecting my ability to work. So I really, I really kind of spun myself into a circle there and had to dig myself out. And around that time, um, I started going to a yoga class because I just really needed an outlet. And I was fortunate enough to land with a really, really good teacher who was an Ashtangi and Ayurvedic practitioner as well. And I would say I fell in love with the practice initially because of the Ashtanga it gave me a very, it, it felt like structure that I was used to dealing in. Mm -hmm. Ashtanga is very hierarchical. Um, and I was used to that kind of mindset with the corporate world. So that felt familiar to me, but it was her knowledge in Ayurveda that actually really, and Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. It's the, the medical system from India. And that really opened my eyes to changing my lifestyle and not just looking at yoga as like a stretchy workout practice. Um, so from that, I started taking a lot of immersions with her on Ayurvedic lifestyle, the yamas, the niyamas, you know, how to cook kitchari, how to identify your dosha, how to modify your daily routines for your dosha, all that stuff. And I started to get better to the point where I didn't need medication any longer. Hmm. And that took maybe about a year or two. And I was, I was taking like Ayurvedic herbs and everything like that, but I wasn't on medication anymore. And I was just dumbfounded because I was like, why did, <laughs> why did yoga work and Ayurveda work when nothing else did? And I've been told for the last six or seven years of my life that it's never going to get better. Um, so curiosity became a passion, a passion became a, a, a drive and, and a hunger. And then I, I moved out to California and started my teacher training. Even for my 200 hour training, I went to a yoga therapy specialist. Um, that was her background. She was also an Ayurvedic practitioner. And then I fed into, uh, Loyola Marymount because it was the only university accredited yoga therapy program at the time that was like in my area. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted the best. I wanted the best training. I wanted to see where yoga intersected with health and modern medicine. And so that's always been my purpose and intention in exploring yoga and 
bringing the practice to my students. So that's why I'm like, you know, if people like want to use it as a workout and do handstands and bikinis, like I'm not particularly bothered by it because I know that's not what I'm here for. And that's okay. You know, it doesn't, what they're doing isn't going to affect the healing that the practice brings me necessarily. But if I allow myself to get caught up in that and it takes me away from the main intention of my practice, well then that can lead to imbalances. Hmm. Right. Um, So, I mean, it's tricky. I think that yoga therapy has a long way to go in terms of, you know, being a a credentialed profession. At the same time, I see there being a really strong need for it. And I see things only progressing in that way. I think that modern, modern medicine is moving more and more towards an integrative model, or at least the most progressive and best practitioners in their field, the best clinicians in their field are moving towards that model where we're not looking at like, oh, chiropractors do this and physical therapists do that and personal trainers do this. It's like the best people are the ones who can combine both the medical background, be okay with the anatomy, be okay with, um, you know, all the, the jargon and the speak and then take that and apply the holistic approach to it because each has their own place but being able to blend them together is is an art and a skill that takes that takes a very very certain type and that that service is very very needed I'm just intrigued by how it's changing the way people's brains function, the way people communicate. Um, I mean, there, this has been great talking to you via phone, but there, ha- there were a few moments where because I couldn't see you, it was it would be a different experience if, if you and I actually saw each other. It would be a different experience if you and I had this conversation, you know, actually face-to-face at a coffee shop or, you know... People are replacing mail with email, and then email is being replaced with DMs, and people aren't talking as much. And so I, I just think it is changing communication. And is it better? Is it worse? I mean, maybe it's quicker. I just don't know if it's as succinct or if it's as deep, or I think it does create a world where messages are misconstrued. I posted something on Facebook a couple of days ago and lots of people loved it and some people hated it. And then I think to myself, I, I just, I don't want to be dealing with how people are reacting to what I post. And so I kind of resist from posting anything other than my podcast or maybe like a new song or something. So, and I see you put yourself out there on Facebook and post things and, and you probably, I imagine are pretty sensitive, but maybe you're also just don't give a fuck what people say. So, I mean, just, you know, what's, what's your sort of relationship and how do you, how do you manage it? Well, I'd like to offer if, it, if it's okay, just a reflection for you. And it sounds like what I'm hearing for you and what you were saying about, you know, social media and technology and stuff is that I'm hearing for you that deep connection is really, really important. I feel deeper and more whole after seeing them or talking to them as opposed to when I'm sort of in the, you know, sending little DMs here and there, it, it you know, I, it all feels meaningless hmm. in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, creating deep, meaningful connection is really, really important to you. And we, I think we alluded to this and, the earlier part of the talk, but, you know, yoga means union. And 
It means connection. So, I mean, don't you think it's kind of important for everybody? And and again, I'm not like people. I think will think, oh, if, if I'm DMing this person or texting this person all the time, I mean, that's a form of connection. But I I just know for myself personally, I prefer the phone call or I prefer the face-to-face conversation, I, you know, as opposed to just if, I mean, I watched Jerry Seinfeld stand up last night and he literally was making fun of people don't want to talk anymore. People would prefer to just DM. So, um, I mean, I just think that it might be contributing to why there's more negativity, anxiety, and depression because, Maybe they're they're thinking that they're actually fulfilled because they're they have a thousand followers and are doing all these DMs and texts and it may make them think that they're quote unquote connected but maybe they really aren't. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think um, I think social media can be used as a tool in in any way that you really want. And I've been very intentional in the way that I've I've used it. And so I think that's enabled me to create a very connected community, even if we aren't able to see each other in person. You know, some of the students I see and I work with are online, including for sexuality. And I think it's more of a matter of, maybe it's just more a matter of like the the logistics of it. Like if a student is in Dallas (laughs) or I, you know, I had some students in London, you know, like they can't fly to see me. It's cost prohibitive for them. Um, but there are things like Zoom now where I can I can meet connect with them. Would it be better for us to do that work in person? Absolutely. It's not you know I can't give body work online. Sure. <laughs> That's just some of my favorite work to do because there's a give and a receive to it. So I think it's just a matter of finding that right balance for yourself and opening up to and seeking out opportunities and co-creating those opportunities for connection with somebody that's willing to meet you in that space because. Maybe it's not always the right time for that other person. But if you, you know, such as on this podcast where we made a time to really drop in with each other, I know we weren't able to see, speak person to person, but some of the things I've revealed about myself are not things that I would reveal just to anybody Hmm. in in a casual, like side, side winder conversation, you know, like talking to my Uber driver in the car, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just it feels like you said, it feels a little bit superficial of an environment or of a circumstance to be having that kind of exchange. Not everything needs to be a super deep conversation or connection, but and everybody also needs those to feel happy and fulfilled and whole in their life, like you were saying. So um, I think it's created more of an impetus to be very, very intentional about how we go about creating connection in our bodies, with ourselves, you know, with our spirit, our understanding of God or goddess, and with each other. And if we, if we step back for a second and look at all those areas, those basically cover all the different areas of my practice and what I offer. It's just that the modalities that I happen to teach or the therapies that I happen to offer are my chosen tools for facilitating that with other people. So whether it's online or we're in a bodywork session, I'm, I'm always coming in with that, with that intention. Um, so it, you can take that energy and just broadly apply it to your life and then allow it to nurture you and nourish you as a co-creation with yourself and as a co-creation. You know, people like yourself who are really interested in these topics and having these conversations are, are really leaders 
in that space and um, are, you know, the people who are kind of the glue well, <laughs> of communities I, and, and bring people together I, in know, really interesting ways. So that's really exciting to me. Um, no, I, I'm glad. It's funny. I'm glad you said that. And a couple of things that I'll let you go. I, I did feel, re, I felt myself relax about 20, and this happens almost every time, about 20 to 30 minutes into our talk. And it's just, hear it a lot. You know, it's a powerful tool if you use it the right way. I just really am curious how young people who, or, you know, if, if an hour long conversation that you and I have created depth and you felt comfortable telling me things and I felt comfortable telling you things, um, it's just, it's a beautiful sort of give and take and, and sort of like a little journey that we went on that I, I just, I, I'm very curious what's going to happen 20 years from now where people have just stopped talking and are primarily having these types of sort of quote unquote connections, just staring at their phone or texting back and forth. It, it may feel to them that it's creating a similar sense of depth and connection like you and I had, but I just, I'm, I question that it is as comforting, heart fulfilling, soul fulfilling as what you and I had, I, I, you know, and I may never know. And, and, or, but I do know there's medical professionals that are analyzing that right now, but I'm curious. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I don't mean to insinuate with my, my commentary that, you know, just being open and vulnerable on, on a phone call is going to replace substantial in-person connection, you know, um, as a massage therapist, I'm really craving touch right now. You know, I'm used to touching people all day. It's just my work. I'm used to using touch as a healing modality and as a healing tool and in a very sensitive area of people's lives. So um, that is something that I'm really missing right now, especially in, in pandemic times. So, yeah, you know, have I been reaching out to people more online and doing friend Zoom calls and stuff? Of course, you know, because I want to stay in touch and make sure my friends are cool and also keep them up to date on what I'm doing. Is that the same as going over to my friend's house for the weekend and, you know, just hanging out for a barbecue on Sunday all day? No, it's not the same kind of interaction. Um, so I don't mean to say that it, one would replace the other. Um, and in fact, a lot of the work that I do really, really emphasizes how to use your inner experience as fodder for interpreting your emotional state and your mental state, and then being able to express that to another person in a clear, compassionate way. Because so much of what comes up in relationships are communication issues, some of which are made more difficult by technology. Like if you're in an argument with your boyfriend or girlfriend and trying to text paragraphs back and forth to them, sometimes that can get a little tough, right? <laughs> yes. um, but if you have the confidence in yourself to be like, hmm, this is what's going on for me. I've become aware of this feeling of sadness that I have about this thing or this jealousy came up. Um, I would like to ask you of this clear request and then you in turn can offer me something in exchange. And it's just like this natural, natural flow to things. Um, I think a lot of that work can be done individually as sort of like self-practice. And then when we come into relationship with others, there's always a practice with how we commune with others too. And so I look at that as more of like a broad term or like a broad umbrella. And 
my communications on like social media or email or phone or whatever it is are just like one one column or one like slat underneath that huge umbrella. Um, and it's not that I'm depending on all of them to feed and nourish me, but it's those some a lot of times those more like superficial kind of interactions or mediums will lead to greater connections. Yeah, that's a good road. point. Um, or give somebody enough of a impression of who they are, what they're about, so that it invites a deeper understanding. Like maybe you wouldn't have ever reached out to me if I didn't put out that <laughs> really yeah. opinionated post on Yoga Works, but you know, because I did, even though it's on Facebook and you're scrolling Facebook, you know, it, it stirred something within you. And so I think that words are powerful through through any medium and your your expression, your sensual expression, your personal expression, your creative expression, um, can be uh, can be very very powerful, regardless of the context. So mm. I'm not saying it's it's right. I'm not saying it's the best way to do things. I'm just saying it's it's how things are right now. So you might as well like adapt, <laughs> yeah, and then use that in a way that feels good and authentic for you um, to co-create opportunities for, for connection that are really, really meaningful. And, um, yeah. And I've seen that be possible even in kind of taboo areas, like combining sexuality and yoga together. Well, Missy, this was, this was wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Yeah, If people want to find me, um, I always offer free consults. Um, you can just go to my website, thebodyintuitive.com slash consult or you can find me on instagram at the body intuitive um you know i <laughs> i do spend a lot of time answering my direct messages so if anybody has questions or you know they agree or disagree i or you know want to let me know if something really resonated or have a question about my work and what i do i'm happy to um, i'm happy to answer that and then um, my email too is missy at the body and Feel free to reach out anytime. You know, it's, it was great speaking with you today. And I, I really appreciate you holding the space. You do a great job. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, well, Missy, thanks for making the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out when this is live and all that sort of stuff. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Eddie, so much. I hope you have a great day and enjoy. And we'll chat soon, okay? It's done. Thank you. Bye. Bye.